Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and welcome from wherever you are in the world joining me today. Thanks to my sponsor, Anchor, for the podcast, as well as being the major sponsor for the conference coming up January 22, which will be held over two days, the 30th and the 31st of March at Box Hill Tape in Lilydale in Melbourne. Anchor is an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solutions, and chief metal fabrication. Anchor, over nearly 50 years in the manufacturing industry, has built a combination of capabilities that is unfortunately scarce in Australia. Machining and precision grinding capabilities combined with highly skilled fitters and turners, a robust multidisciplined engineering team and strong project management skills provides a comprehensive package. Combined with its global supply chain, Anchor competes in the world market. My guest today is Dan White, who has a master's degree in educational technology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he is also the CEO and founder of Filament Games, which he's been running for the last 15 years or so. So welcome, Dan, and thanks very much for joining me all the way from Wisconsin. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we were just talking about it's getting a bit cold, your neck of the woods, and uh, Melbourne, well, Melbourne's always cold, so I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You can take pity on me, but we, <laughs> yeah. we we do it every year. We go through the same cycle and you'd think that I'd be prepared for it by now with really warm clothes and a nice coat and good boots and all that stuff, but I never no, learn. No, n- never learn. It's a bit <laughs> like Christmas. Christmas is a surprise to everyone yes. every year. They go, oh my goodness, exactly. it's Christmas. Go, yeah, every year. If this is what you celebrate. It keeps happening. <laughs> yep, that's right. I think it's I just happening. black it out. So, Every spring, I just sort of black it out like it never happened. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's just out of your mind and, and off we go. So, so right. tell, me, tell me a little bit about your background in educational game design and how that led you to create your robotics video game called Roboco. Sure. Well, so my education and my background rather in educational video game design goes back to my undergraduate where I was at Cornell University and we were making virtual science museums to teach students about genetics. And what we made was pretty primitive and pretty terrible, but the students really enjoyed it and they actually seemed to learn quite a bit from it. So the thought at that point was that if this is bad and it's good, then imagine how good it could be if it was actually good. (laughs) So went on to pursue a master's in education technology at UW, as you mentioned, so that I could learn about actual learning science. I was already a gamer and felt like I knew a lot about games as a medium. And uh, from there, worked with my two founding partners, Alex Stone and Dan Norton, to build a learning game development and design company with the idea that we wanted the game mechanics to feel authentic to the learning objectives. And what I mean by that is you see a lot of learning games where there's something they want you to learn and there's a gameplay mechanic, something that you do for play. And those two are completely separate and have nothing to do with each other. You see a lot of this with quiz games. And we thought, you know, video game technology has advanced so dramatically and yet seems so underutilized in the education space. We can make educational games or learning games where the player actually gets to do fun and interesting things. And those fun and interesting things are also inherently educational or have value outside of school in real world. 
so with that philosophy, we've been developing games across the last 15, 16 years. And RoboCo is the most recent game that we've been working on that is a little bit unique in that a lot of the games that we develop are on a work-for-hire basis for an eclectic mix of clientele ranging from textbook publishers to researchers to VC-funded startups, toy companies, not-for-profits. And this is a game that we founded through the National Science Foundation and own the IP to and will be taking to market ourselves. Congratulations, first of all. I mean, you're in a space that I imagine in the last 15 years or so has just um, just boomed and changed so much since you started this. It's changed dramatically. I remember at the very beginning, almost every conversation we had with a client was, why should I use an educational video game for the goal that I'm trying to accomplish? And we had our whole song and dance about how learning games can be effective, especially when done well, well-designed learning games. And now we never answer that question. It's just people, the research has demonstrated that well-designed learning games are efficacious and, have, and can have a positive impact. And um, at this point, it's really just a question of what's, what's the right game to design for the purpose. Yeah. So you talk about that. Is there like a, a very clear differentiator between an educational video game and an entertainment video game that someone um, like me could just quickly see if, if I picked up a game? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, a, a lot of entertainment oriented video games have inherent educational value, even though they're not necessarily designed to that end. So for example, a game like Civilization is a game where you lead an empire from the dawn of time to modern times. And in the process of doing that, you're engaging in systems thinking, you're engaging in complex problem solving, critical thinking, so on and so forth. It was never designed to be an educational game, but it absolutely has educational merits. So the main difference with educational video games and games that are designed for entertainment value that happen to have educational value is that we're very intentionally engineering learning moments and conceptual understandings into the gameplay experience. You know, I always think of um, when you're enjoying something, you just learn it naturally. So, you know, if I'm, I'm reading a yes. all Lee, Lee Child's book, that's all I know about America because I just read his books. And when I actually came <laughs> to Washington, I knew all about him. I know I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but this is how I know about America. Um, sure. So, so how there are worse you, ways to learn yeah, about America. Look, I mean, the, the thing is that I enjoy his books. So I just absorb everything. And, and he talks about a plastic. And I actually go, well, let me just Google this and see if this is actually true. And sure enough, like a lot of his, it is actually true. He's basing it on actual places. Some places he gets a bit vague on, but anyway, we deviate from that. Now, how do you know that the educational work, uh, games are working for students? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the, the number one question is, what is the utility of the experience in the real world? And of course, that's another thing that separates educational games from entertainment games that have positive value is that they're not necessarily designed to give you a skill or ability that's useful outside of the game. Maybe you get really good at that thing inside the game space, but then when you leave, it has no value. So we're looking at transference, right? We're looking at does, does the thing that we, does the experience that we give you give you a skill or ability or mindset or aptitude that is then useful outside of the gameplay experience? And th there's a lot of different ways that we can measure that. As you might imagine, one of the challenges with trying to assess that is most of our assessment instruments boil down to some kind of multiple choice question, whereas games are these 
about con deep conceptual understandings and these big, rich, complex problem spaces. So how do you how do you sort of figure out what somebody learned uh, uh, as a result of a, a complex process if your instrumentation is is very simple? So uh, there's a, a variety of different ways that we attempt to do that. Um, a lot of it involves interview interviews. A lot of it involves um, uh, having a large enough sample size that you can compile a lot of qualitative data and look for patterns in that data. But then of course, you know, quantitative data is valuable as well. We can, you know, depends on the nature of the game, but in some cases we do want to understand the Delta and their content knowledge from before they played the game to after. And that's relatively straightforward to assess. It's just those higher order thinking skills that are a little bit more difficult to assess. So let's talk about Roboco. Um, what's your mission with it and um, who, what audience? Yeah, so the, the mission is relatively straightforward. Basically, robotics, from our perspective, robotics education is incredibly impactful in terms of uh, getting kids and youth excited about STEM degrees and professions and joining the STEM workforce. The challenge with it is that robotics kits are very expensive and there's a lot of logistical hassle. There's right now incredible supply chain issues with sourcing robotics kits and shipping them around the world. We work with we work with First Robotics and First Global, and this is a big challenge that they're having right now is getting, getting kits into the hands of students. So that scalability question is always a challenge. And of course, mm -hmm. parts have to be stored and they can be lost and they have to be replaced. Uh, if you only have a couple kits for a classroom full of students, what do you do with all the students who don't have access to kits? When you have competitions that involves, you know, expensive and time-consuming travel, et cetera, et cetera. So we love physical robotics, never want to replace physical robotics, but we do want to augment or supplement it with a digital option. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with Roboco. The other big thing that we're trying to do is just broaden the funnel of people coming in, inter becoming interested in this affinity space. So how do we get a broader diversity of people interested in robotics? And, and that's why we're putting it in a video game to make it really fun and interesting and to kind of shallow out that on-ramp. I think it's fantastic. This is, of course, a, a problem, and you know, limited resources with kids. It's always an issue because they are they can get a little bit pricey for students. So, yeah. um, your industry trends and economic trends. Uh, what are you addressing with Robocar? Yeah. So, in in terms of the industry, do you mean in terms of uh, preparing students for industry after yes. school? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so with RoboCo, like programs like First Robotics and First Global, we are attempting to give students an experience wherein they can uh, collaborate with other students in order to solve complex problems using engineering and design thinking. And those types of skills are obviously broadly applicable across, well, careers in general, but STEM careers in, in particular. And so essentially, we would consider it a success if students can participate in Roboco and walk away with the same level of uh, sense of self-efficacy and confidence and preparedness for STEM education and, and career as they get from participating in physical robotics kits and courses. All right. So... Um... You've been doing this an awfully long time, and I remember in our in our initial chats way back when we sort of touched on this. Do you think there's a big difference between um, 
male versus female uptake in gaming and girls? And do you think in particular this could actually be quite useful for girls, um, mm -hmm. this Robocar that you've developed? Yeah, that's a great question. So statistically, uh, there's really not that much of a difference uh, between genders. The main difference is what types of games different people choose to play. And this is true of all different demographics, whether you're talking about gender, age, or, or what have you. And uh, so really the big question for us is how do we make RoboCo appeal as broadly as possible across those demographic lines? And to that end, one of the one of the big things uh, that we've done is just the aesthetics of the experience. It's very whimsical. It's very inviting. It's very colorful, um, and it, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It doesn't come across as this really hardcore engineering experience, even though beneath the surface, it's actually probably more like CAD than a video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um... Your collaboration with FIRST. First, tell me what FIRST stands for, and then what are you setting out to do together? Yeah, that's great. So FIRST is an acronym for, for Inspiration in Science and Technology. And so a lot of people just think, well, FIRST is robotics, but it's actually broader than that. It's really about just, in general, getting youth interested and excited interested in and excited about STEM and STEM disciplines. So in, in robotics happens and robotics competitions as sport happens to be the vehicle for that. So what we're trying what we're trying to do with first and first global is to create a digital augment to their to to their multiple decades of successful programming that they've had up to this point. And uh, as I mentioned before, not to replace it at all, but to augment it and strengthen it. So right now they have uh, with first there's multiple different leagues there's the first lego league uh for for um grade school age kids there's the first tech challenge which is more middle school high school and then the, there's the first robotics league which is more high school and then over on first global uh there's a broad a broad range of ages as well but they're they structure their competitions more like the olympics as opposed to say high school sports with regionals and that and states and nationals so two very complementary organizations so basically the the long-term dream is to essentially have another league so you'd have the first lego league the first tech challenge the first digital league and that first digital league would be available to all of those participants and more people who wouldn't be able to participate in those other leagues due to physical or monetary constraints and then with that league we'd be able to do competitions in the same way that first already does competitions uh, on a global scale global scale and in fact we are actually doing the first competition our first pilot competition right now with first global we just had our first round of three the qualifiers and we had 80 countries from around the world register they submit videos of their runs in the game which is a run is where you build a robot to solve a problem in the game or complete a challenge and we put compiled all those together in an espn sports style broadcast with it's just it's so cool it's so see, cool to see it all come together and uh, of course uh, just a, a huge hugely diverse mix of countries participating from all around the world so that's really the dream is to have digital robotics competitions that provide access to both the existing members of those programs and members who otherwise wouldn't be able to participate. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You're actually taking it to another level of learning. And again, inclusivity of, of 80 countries across the world that students can participate. So 
How does the digital Robocar experience compare with the experience of um, participating in a physical robotics through FIRST? Yeah, it's it's sort of I like to describe it as robotics meets esports basically. And thanks to thanks to First and and their founder Dean Kamen's vision, you know, the whole idea was well we want STEM athletes to be recognized and applauded in the same way that we applaud and recognize people who are really good at football or soccer, which is just the coolest vision ever. So there's already this culture of athleticism and sport and competition within robotics, thanks to First and First Global. And all we really had to do is basically marry that with another fast growing uh, affinity space, which is esports, people competing around video games digitally. And uh, the two so far have actually come together quite naturally, sort of have felt like a, like a match made in heaven. And, um, uh, and we, can, we can sort of get the best of both worlds, right? That's the thing I think I'm most excited about. It's uh, uh, esports and gaming is an absolutely huge market. With um, I, I listen to the money that's in this industry, and I'm going like, it's a pity. Like, it's I, I don't see myself doing any of this, but I just go, <laughs> oh, wow, if I was starting out and I'm, you know, I've got all this energy, this is what I would be doing. So, yes. part of, so part of you, what you're working on with First Global is using Rubberco as a virtual arena for scholastic esports how does scholastic um, esports differ from esports yeah with popular gamers yeah and that that actually reminds me that i actually didn't answer your last question too which is how how it's different from physical uh, robotics um which which is actually it's not all that different really so in in the physical robotics competitions uh, uh, the challenge level or the game board is unveiled and everybody has a certain amount of time to build their robot and they have to build a robot that can solve that challenge, usually in, co- in competition with other teams. And then they all come together live and they uh, uh, compete to, with, their, with their, their builds in order to solve that challenge. In Roboco, it's the same thing. You, we, we release the game board, we release the challenge level. People have a certain amount of time to build their robots. The main difference right now is that uh, we, we piece together all the different runs asynchronously uh, whereas in the future we hope to have what we call synchronous multiplayer so like just like in the real world you'd be playing against the other teams in real time online uh, but uh yeah so the the structure is the same obviously the you know the physics is a little bit different than it is in real life it's a simulation as opposed to a perfect replication uh the uh but the types of parts you know you have pistons and gears and servo motors you can adjust the torque and so we we basically try to try to make it so that it's as an analogous as possible um how does scholastic esports differ from uh, from uh, regular esports was that the second one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the 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 main th- there's again those those aren't terribly different either. Um, scholastic esports right now is essentially regular esports, but in a, you know the context of an after school program like a high school sport. Uh, so rather than people playing think of think of the analog as basically high school football right like you 
you play scholastic esports, like you play high school football, and then eventually you could go on to play professional football in the same way that you could go on to be a professional esport athlete. So what one thing that we're interested in is how do you take scholastic esports, which right now centers around commercial entertainment games like League of Legends or StarCraft, and what if we actually make the content of the game itself educational, a game like RoboCo, and have students competing around inherently educational games? It's sort of like if you were to say, well, what happened? What would happen if people learned engineering while they played football? You know, it'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you sort of kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, or while you're surfing the internet on YouTube channels, there's actually stuff going into your subconscious that you're actually yeah. learning, and you're not just wasting time. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so your vision for Rabaco, um, what is it? Like what are you hoping to achieve with this? Yeah, the main thing is to get a lot more students interested in STEM and STEM disciplines and robotics in specific and engineering. And you know, because if you step back, you know, one of our big concerns is the how well prepared students are coming out of K-12 for a world in which robotics and automation are really having a dramatic, causing a dramatic facelift on the workforce around the country and, and, and in America as well. So uh, the question is, what types of skills and abilities do students need to have in order to be successful in that world, which will look very different than the workforce of today? It's already changed quite a bit, but will still look quite a bit different in the future. And the question is, is school and the way it's structured and the types of things that we're teaching right now, are they preparing students adequately? And I would say they're not, they're not getting uh, students all the way to where they need to be. And that's why we desperately need these, these engineering and robotics programs because they're like this 21st century, uh, the superfood of 21st century skills. Uh, the problem, of course, being that there's a scalability issue. So th that's really our big goal is to just get a lot, to get these skills to a lot more students to scale these programs a lot faster so that more students are prepared to enter the workforce and, 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 and pr be prepared to enter a workforce that's dramatically different than the one we know today. You know, I, I actually take it as far as to go... Uh, you know, these students that go to university and they spend an awful lot of amount of money and then they suddenly go into the job and they discover they hate it. Like, I don't know how yes. you've got that far <laughs> to do that. That always amazes me that when I hear that. But I would actually go a step back and and think that um, in high school that these games actually become a subject where they can actually try out different careers. So, you know, you're specifically talking about robotics now, but you could just as well, um, you could do it in a medical sense as well. You know, you could do all sorts of different career types that you're going, well, have a go at it and see if you actually enjoy doing it because this is pretty much um, what it is going to be like. Am I right in, in thinking that? Yes, it's so funny that you mentioned that because before RoboCo, the product idea that I was trying to get off the ground was basically exactly that. It would be a big library of games of all sorts of different professional practices where you could basically step into the shoes of a particular professional for a day and play with that career and see how you liked it and perhaps more importantly, whether or not you were good at it and uh, ended up getting this project funded instead of that one. But I hope somebody does that one because I think that's a great idea. I mean, we're gradually, we'll gradually get there over time as uh, we, as more companies make games that reflect some sort of professional practice as opposed to just some of the core subject areas in K-12. 
but um yeah roboco will be will be one and we need a thousand more you know <laughs> yeah so i i go like do this do this as a game and then follow on from that you actually have to go and do it for two days like in reality that you're actually walking with someone and actually find it and i think it's it's actually a great pity that these things aren't already out there and if they are my apologies to you out in the world please let us know about it but it just you just save money time wasted um my son's an example of this got an education he's a teacher taught for six months and told me he hated it you know and mm, way yep. along the journey you could have just gone listen this is not for me like um but then you you know you've committed the time and all the energy already and I think that's so critical now, especially with the rising cost of post-secondary education. It's just, it's it's becoming a very high stakes investment for young people at a time when their lives are so formative and they miss, they're missing a lot of the, well, they don't know themselves as well as they will, you know, like you say, two, three, four, 10 years down the road. And so, yeah, anything that we can do to allow those students to sample those careers in a really meaningful way, I think would be really impactful. And I say, I stress the word meaningful because, you know, right now you can, you know, you go to your, your guidance counselor and you can take, a, a, take out a giant book that describes all the different careers and sort of attempt, you know, maybe, maybe there's videos that uh, try to give you a sense of what that job is like but that's different than actually getting hands-on with it and experiencing it mm -hmm. and that's what's so great about the medium of games is that you get hands-on and experience something in a very immersive way well i know in um in australia closer to home that one of the tafes um windham uh, the the director the gail has actually got a whole gaming room now that designed and built so i must i'll link you up on um on LinkedIn so that you can have a look at it because you know you would want Roboco in there going listen girl you need to be doing this I'll, I'll make that introduction yeah. for you um you know yeah, and, if the, and if these games are if they do a good job if they do their job then you can you truly can change somebody's life you can spark inspiration and and that's something that we've seen from from very early on at Filament when we've been creating games that that give students a window into some professional practice. The very first game that we ever created was a game that lets you play the role of an ocean scientist. And we took that around schools in the DC area and just watched as all of these young people for the first time thought to themselves, you know, I've, I've seen these people on National Geographic and on TV. And I just always assumed that I could never be one of these types of people. But here I just played a game where I did their job and frankly, I can totally do this. So yeah. maybe I should be, you know, maybe I should be a, a marine biologist or maybe I should pursue my dreams. We need, we need students to have more experiences like that. Those well, empowering you, experiences. Yes, because I think what you're doing is you igniting the dream. You, you actually yeah. igniting something that they look at, well, listen, this can be a future. Obviously the, you know, the blocks that they need to put in place, the subjects that they need to take at school, but at right. least you creating this vision of you going, listen, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And that's what I'm going to do. I, that's exactly. priceless. You, you can't put a price on that as far as I'm concerned. That's right. And maybe if you read about the career, watch about the career, you know what it is, but you don't know how good you would be at it or how, how well you would perform in that career. And that's incredibly important because for a lot of young people, the, the, it's not so much the knowledge of the career that's missing as it is the confidence to pursue it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about games is it can give you an opportunity to try 
and see how it goes in a in a 100% low stakes environment. You know, we've we've actually got it backwards then because if you look at it like as you age and you mature, you've got all this knowledge, you start out and people expect from you to have all the answers, you know, what are you going to do? What do you want to be? And you right. know, I, I'm amazed people, most people even have any idea when they're 19 or 20. <laughs> I'm amazed the world functions as well as it does, because quite right. frankly, what do you know at 19 or 20? You, you know, you're an absolute babe in terms of, of life knowledge and, and just skills that you have. I, I think we, um, and if you look at schooling today, you know, you've touched on it a little bit earlier that, um, and I think this resonates whether you're in Australia, whether you're in America, that education has changed so much. You, there's yeah. so much online that's for free that you can you can access. And um, I was talking some t- to some teachers here that, you know, education is like this behemoth like thing that you have to try and move along and to change anything takes forever. So I don't know whether that's the same in the States. Um, and this is quick, oh, yes. it's easy. You just so. go, yeah, listen. Um, in a way, I, I think what's happening is our schooling is reflected of the students we're pushing out, and it's not, you know, it's it's covering the fundamentals, but it's not covering um, this, this this design thinking. Um, collaboration they are trying but you know obviously you're catering to x amount of students they're also different in their capability their interests um again i'm, I'm just amazed that we've all passed the schooling system as probably as well as we have yes <laughs> well it's a it's a model that really focuses on putting information into the heads of the students with the idea that if they have a whole bunch of information they'll be productive citizens on the other side uh, when in fact, I think if 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 I were to make one change, I would just focus a lot more, I'd focus the model more on figuring out how to draw information out of the student about what ignites them, what their passions are, what sorts of interests they have. And the thing is, when you're when you're younger, the only way that you can really discover those passions inside of you most of the time is to have a very broad and eclectic mix of experiences and be like, okay, well, these you know, these five things over here didn't really do anything for me. These things over here got me a little bit excited, but boy, that thing, why I, I'd never had an experience like that. And it just, I, I really want to, ha- I want to do something like that again. I want to explore, I want to pull that thread and see what happens basically. And I feel like when we, when we deliver students at the doorstep of college and we haven't given them sufficient opportunities to really explore what their interests and their passions are, we've really done them a disservice no matter how full of, uh, you know, uh, calculus or physics mm-hmm. their heads are at that point. Yeah, I agree with you. So what does the future hold for Roboco? Well, the future is definitely multi-platform. So we're going to have Robo, a version of Roboco on the PC. We're going to have a VR version of Roboco on the Oculus Quest. We're going to try to have a version of Roboco that can be played on Chromebooks and low-end devices so, that they, so it can be accessed more easily in schools. We're going to have a version of Roboco on the Roblox platform, which is an online inherently multiplayer game space where students build their own games and then play each other's games. And, uh, and, and we'll be able to play and compete in Roboco as well. So basically, we're trying to reach students wherever they are um, and uh, to bring them as, into this ecosystem of engineering, design thinking, and robotics with the ultimate hope that they go on to do 
a program like FIRST or, or, or get interesting in engineering and go on and do a college degree in engineering or, or robotics. But um, yeah, the future is basically we would like to have these RoboCo competitions across all these different platforms that are as exciting to people as watching esports competitions for League of Legends and StarCraft that have uh, the viewership of, of some of these professional esports competitions, uh, but that are, um, yeah, all built and structured around the affinity space of engineering and design thinking and problem solving. And, you know, and, and then ultimately in the service of just attracting thousands and, and if not millions of youth into, into STEM degrees and professions. And I think it's fabulous. Congratulations on the work you're doing. Um, I have to ask you, though, um, being in the business, do you find yourself when you're at home sitting there playing games or do you just go, no, this, I'm leaving this to my team. <laughs> it's been trialed and tested. I know they work. <laughs> yes, for RoboCo, I definitely eat my own dog food a lot and I feed it to my son as well. He's nine. And <laughs> you got come and sit here and play with me. This is going to be good for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he, he's a little bit younger than our, our target. Uh, we, we're really more targeting middle school and above. But um, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I play through and, and I, I'm really. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it's interestingly enough, like I didn't really know anything about robotics prior to working on this project. All of our subject matter expertise was external and in the team development team. And I have learned so much about robotics and engineering from playing this game. And I've actually gotten to the point where I've been in, in a, in a not totally unserious way, contemplating getting going back to school and and getting a, a formal degree in engineering just for fun because uh it's just i love the idea that if you have those skills if you have that knowledge you can create essentially anything that you you can you can see a problem in the world and you can be like i'm going to design a solution to that problem i'm going to fabricate that solution i'm going to iterate on that solution and i'm going to solve it through technology and that's such that's just an incredible feeling of empowerment. You know, I've thought about for a long time, I thought it'd be really cool to have a fully automated restaurant. And so I got into RoboCo and I was like, I'm just going to prototype out my restaurant idea in RoboCo yeah. and what sorts of, uh, you know, and so I got to encounter the, the different types of challenges that I would have to come up with design solutions for and got really went really far down that rabbit hole and realized that in the process of designing a solution there are so many interesting just fascinating problems to solve or at least in, as far as my brain is concerned um, so I, I just absolutely love the idea that um, you know you could engage with a with a video game like this and go from knowing absolutely nothing about a discipline to being like, hmm, you know, not only do I feel like I want a second degree in this, but I also feel like I want to be an entrepreneur in this space as well. It's, it's just really intoxicating. Do you think you could go one step further and when people are actually um, designing solutions that this is a good way for them even just to try it out? How could they customize yeah. it? They'd have to contact you for that, but obviously... Um, you know, instead of actually doing the whole build and you go, okay, listen, we, 
there's some obvious problems already that we mm-hmm. we didn't think about and now we can see it as we're designing it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of like CAD light. I mean, if you I, I think for for anybody, whether you're playing the game for fun or you're an engineering professional, I absolutely think you can get into the game and you can prototype something really quickly just to test your basic theory of how something would function or how, how a particular design solution would work and then uh, work out some of the high-level kinks before going into a, a more robust engineering software. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's it's a tool for thought, right? It's basically, it's a tool to allow mm-hmm. you to think through a problem space and what sorts of design solutions might be elegant in that problem space. Listen, you've, you've got me excited. I may have to try this myself. I can see my adult children coming, visiting me and going, what are you doing? I'm going, excuse me, no dinner for you. I'm busy playing games. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, the challenges are really cool and interesting. We have you know, challenges like the very first level of the game, you're building a robot to deliver a sandwich to a customer in a bistro setting. We have challenges where you have to launch a soda to somebody watching a football game in a living room that you can't actually go into. So you have to sort of catapult the soda. We have a challenge where you have to cross a gap and turn a valve in order to shut off a goo leak. And in the future, we can create new seasons of challenges around basically whatever we want. You know, sky's the limit because it's digital. So we can put you on Mars. We can put you underwater. We can have you, you know, design robots to clean up the ocean. It's just the, the fact that it's digital affords us tremendous freedom in thinking about what sorts of solution uh, problems we want students to, to design solutions for. And typically, how long does it take you to design something like that? So each individual challenge can take quite a long time to develop um, because there's the initial challenge idea, which we build a rough version of and then test. And then uh, some of them turn out to be no fun at all. Others show promise. And so we pursue those. And for the ones that show promise, we iterate again and again and again and again while we fine tune things to say, well, okay, is this really forcing you to come up with a different design than you did for your last challenge or could you use the same robot and get away with it? Is it uh, an interesting enough problem space? Does it take about, does it feel like it has the right level of difficulty for where it is in the game? So on and so forth. And this is an area that we can really, I think, explode in the future because you know, one, one of our hopes and ambitions is in addition to having people play the game, we would also love to work with sponsor organizations to sponsor custom challenges and custom parts. So for example, right now the game has, you know, gears and pistons and, and motors and, you know, all, a lot of the basic parts that you would expect. But of course, the more parts we add to the toolbox, the more creative freedom we give the player. So you know, we're, we were going to be at some point looking for sponsors to, to get belts into the game and, and, and springs and, you know, torsion springs and things of that nature. And then, as I mentioned, to sponsor new challenges. So, for example, I could imagine, uh, you know, a, an auto manufacturing ma- manufacturer sponsoring a challenge that challenges players to build their own assembly line to build, to build cars or a vacuum cleaner company sponsoring a challenge to build the ultimate you know, robot to tidy up a house. In closing, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, I know there are going to be people who want to contact you to get more information. What's the best place? And if you haven't followed Dan on LinkedIn, please do. Um, Where else can they contact you? 
Sure. So the, the website is roboco.co. And we have a link on the website. I believe it's under the educators button uh, to, but anybody really can, can sign up to participate in a pilot test if they're interested in getting access to the game. And then of course you can contact Filament uh, at contact at filamentgames.com. And that will go to me if it's, if it's something RoboCo related. Uh, we're super interested in people who want to pilot test the game. We're super interested in people who want to sponsor challenges or sponsor live competitions in the game. And we're super interested in anybody who's interested in uh, the idea of digital robotics in general and this vision of using digital robotics to scale robotics education and wants to be part of that journey with us. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Really, it's it's been eye-opening and I'm I'm actually quite enthusiastic. I may just dabble there myself. You'll see Nikki from Exaptic and you'll go, I know that, I know <laughs> that name. We'll give a little bit of a trial there. So um, be sure to follow Dan um, on LinkedIn and do contact him. I'll put the I'll put the contact details in the show notes um, anyway. Dan, thank you so much. Um, honestly, it's it's um, I'll do some connections here from Australia anyway for you, but it's it's Wonderful. really been great. So, well, great. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you. And to our audience, uh, please join us again next week for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. And uh, please do follow the show if you haven't already and look forward to your company then. Mm-hmm.